to the PwC Financial Services Horizons. I have with me today Brett King, author and futurist. And uh, we're going to talk about the future of banking and more specifically the future of financial crime compliance. Uh, my name is Mahmoud Salah. I'm a partner in PwC Financial Services and uh, we are delighted to have you with us, Brett. Uh, okay, let me maybe just set the scene here about the three topics that are on my mind no. when it comes to financial crime compliance uh, that are currently basically consuming most of our time in discussions with, with clients and in the market. Digital identity, certainly one yep. of them, and I would like really to know the view of a futurist of how, on how, how the future of onboarding and the future of KYC will look like, because right. this is definitely one of the biggest pain points for our yes. clients. The second point is on virtual assets. I would be living under a rock if I haven't discussed virtual assets yep. and virtual asset service providers. And uh, on the back of some of the recent events as well, uh, what can be done to avoid uh, uh, similar situations again and to protect consumers. Mm. I'm looking at this from a compliance point of view, yeah. regulatory point of view, what regulators need to do more and what institutions and banks in particular need to do more to protect clients. Uh, and, and, and the third point is really specific to fraud. What we've been seeing with the, with the introduction of additional uh, and with the adoption of additional digital services, We've been also seeing lots of new social engineering typologies, new frauds. The, the numbers of fraud are increasing quite dramatically. So uh, it would really be good to know your view on, on what banks can do more in order to reduce fraud. Uh, and, and we'll get into that a little bit more uh, when we discuss it. So let's start, so let's start with digital identity. Right. Um, you know, I think what the pandemic showed us was a small glimpse of what the 21st century transition to digital identity is going to be like in that, you know, suddenly during the pandemic and during lockdown, we had to have, uh, you know, telehealth, um, you know, discussion with doctors, uh, you know, we had to have our kids, uh, our children homeschooled through Zoom, um, you know, we were ordering groceries online and so forth. Um, so this access to the digital services layer in the 21st century is dependent on good digital identity infrastructure. So if you think about access to insurance or financial services or education or healthcare, um, it's always going to have a digital component moving forward. Um, and the first thing we need to do is make sure we know who you are so that we can um, you know, provide the appropriate service. And um, what we all already recognize from a simple regulatory um, perspective or compliance perspective is that, you know, data points that we used to use secure identity, um, your mother's maiden name, your date of birth, your address, you know, in the US, the social security number, those data points are no longer securable, right? So you can't have secure identity using the existing identity infrastructure we have, a plastic driver's license or a, a paper passport. We need much more complex uh, identity infrastructure. And we need it to be a bit less or well, more frictionless. Right? Correct. You know, I don't right. want to go and produce right. a copy right. of my passport at the back. You have everything you need on you um, to, uh, you know, have your identity assured, which is, you know, your face, your behavior, your voice print, your fingerprints, you know, biometrics uh, and so forth. So, so let me make it a little bit more uh, uh, local to the region. We've been hearing lots about 
central utilities, having KYC maybe centralized uh, through through uh, either governmental entities or or even private uh, sector. Uh, but and lots of effort have has gone into initiatives like this. But to be completely frank, it's uh, it hasn't been effective. Right? We haven't seen banks being able to tap into a central repository or a, a KYC utility where it's working whilst all this information is actually available. So when is this going to become a reality? I mean, even just the fact we're still using username and passwords, which ultimately passwords aren't secure either. I mean, it's going to be a shock to many people to hear that. But, um, you know, uh, um, yeah, pretty much we can break any password encryption um, system today. So um, what you really need to do is say, well, if you think about infrastructure for a smart economy and an economy in the 21st century, what are the foundation elements? Well, if you're going to put AI in place, you are going to need to have some ethical constructs, some regulation about the use of AI to ensure no biases and so forth. You are going to need automated systems for uh, transportation, for banking and finance and so forth. But underpinning this from a national infrastructure perspective is going to be things like identity and infrastructure, energy infrastructure, smart energy uh, systems, uh, you, know, a, a, you know, better uh, government resource management and so forth. Um, so identity is... For this, this region, sorry to interject, mm. is the likes, the, uh, services like uh, the UAE Pass, AppShare in Saudi, yeah. These, the infrastructure you're referring to is yeah. actually there. Right. Now is the, the turn of the banking sector, for example, or the financial institutions to tap into that. And they have, right. but we need to, to see that shift yeah. from the branch model. Right, right. So, um, you know, if, if you think about how we, we've thought about banking from an identity perspective historically, um, the view is, well, the best way to identify someone is if they walk in a branch, we can see their face. We can compare that with a, a you know, a, a Copy identity document or passport or driver's license, and then we can get their signature. That's um, the best form of KYC that we have. But that hasn't been the case for a decade. Unfortunately, uh, you know, what we know is that the error rate is very high. We know that somewhere between 3 and 4% of identities presented in a branch are synthetic. You know, Just look at the penalties and look right. at the KYC remediation programs right. that banks yeah. have to do. Um, you know, the amount of identity theft and fraud is very high. So some data I presented to the team uh, yesterday as an example is the difference between mobile wallets that use biometric identity systems versus banks using debit cards and the traditional identity systems is we've seen a massive gap open up in fraud performance there. So mobile wallets are roughly something like 10,000 times safer when they use biometrics versus using a plastic credit card or debit card. So on, on that thought, I'm going to skip the virtual asset uh, uh, as a second topic and go directly to fraud because you touched on a very important point to me. Uh, the social engineering and all the right. increase in fraud that we're seeing in the region and globally has been predominantly driven by uh, either credit card or uh, uh, sharing of information, right. uh, you know, social engineering patterns, let's say, which which can be easily resolved if we move to the cloud to your point. So if we move away from plastic and from credit Correct. cards to the cloud, many of these problems just disappear simply. Well, but but the, the, the region is not ready yeah. for cloud. Well, that's inevitable, right? Exactly. It, it's, it's just a matter of time. And the fact is, um, if you look at cloud 
just cloud in terms of cybersecurity versus on-premise solutions. The, the reality is the reason clouds like Microsoft Azure, you know, Google Cloud, um, AWS are so much better from a cybersecurity perspective is that when you think about something like a fraud system or a cybersecurity system, it's very much like our immune system. Right? The more threats that um, appear, um, the more defenses your immune system builds up and over time it becomes stronger. And that's the same. And so these cloud environments are facing a lot more attacks uh, than you know, banks and insurers and um, you know, uh, uh, government are facing on their, their current system. So by nature, they're just more effective at handling that type of thing. But when it comes to identity in, in particular, and we're trying to um, resolve this with fraud, um, the 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 trick is to think of identity as a construct, right? It's not it's not a set of data points, in the way we think thought about it in the past. It's a construct based on your biometrics and your behaviour, and by um, by putting those two overlaid, you get something that is very very difficult to spoof, you know, or to or to copy. Because um, I might be able to hack a database and change your fingerprint or your voice print or something like that, but then being able to mimic your behaviour in such a way that it lines up is very very difficult. This is where you know technologies also like blockchain and other things uh, are quite useful from a immutability perspective and and um, sort of self-protection uh, capability built into the yeah. database. Yeah, I, I, I like what you're saying because it also debunks the uh, common perception these days that the more we move to digital, the more uh, uh, fraud uh, will take place. The, the more it's yeah. actually the, the weakness is not in digital. The weakness is in the traditional identity infrastructure. It's not robust enough to work in the yeah. digital space. You can't space. take the traditional control framework and apply it in a digital world. No, right? no. Yeah, you need to have the right. So you know, if we behavior. if we if we look at the typical things we ask on a bank application form, we ask for to identify you or what we call KYC, right? Know your customer. Um, we you know like your date of birth your mother's maiden name, your address, most of that I can find out on the public yeah. web through social media and so forth. I didn't even need to hack a database for that, you know. And then, of course, you've got the dark web and these uh, data breaches with, you know, a lots of, of deep of, deep information available. So, um, f as I said earlier, um, you know, the... the the data points that we think of to identify someone today are just no longer secure. Yeah, we've moved on. That's the key problem. static data yeah. points. Uh, if I uh, move on to virtual assets, I just want to to ask a very basic question, to be honest, to to help me understand something. So we we've been helping uh, banks uh, try to create the relevant or or extend their frameworks to uh, to be able to service virtual asset service providers to make sure that their financial crime controls are are updated. But then, I mean, there is this perception that. Uh, that crypto and that virtual assets are also a, a, a very important medium for money laundering. Right? Money launderers have been kind of using crypto, and, and you, you're hearing stories that it's it's uh, it's not necessarily uh, secure. Or I, I don't know. Can you debunk that? Can you help me understand how yeah. how blockchain is actually better 
given the, the transparency and the, trans uh, the, the traceability sure. to fight financial crime and money laundering in particular. No, today about 98% of all money laundering is cash. You know, so, I mean, um, while crypto has entered the realm, you know, it's still um, a minuscule problem compared with the basic problem we have with uh, uh, cash-based money laundering. Um, and of course, you know, you have a very sophisticated uh, uh, bunch of uh, cyber criminals that will use um, basic banking because of the identity, you know, weaknesses that we talked about to um, use that existing banking infrastructure to clean money as well. Um, you know, not to mention the real estate industry and other things like that that are a systemic part of uh, um, the money laundering industry. The, the thing here is um, uh, we are woeful at stopping money laundering, um, mainly because it's a data problem. It's not um, the way we think about it as a regulation problem in, in the classic terms. So we spend uh, tens of billions uh, of dollars a year collectively, hundreds of billions of dollars a year collectively around the world trying to enforce money laundering through things like suspicious transaction reporting and, and so forth. And yet we stop about 1% of uh, money laundering globally. So um, the problem isn't cyber, that's a distraction. The problem is the existing banking system, frankly. And this requires this uh, different approach to two things, to, to identity, which we've already talked about, but more significantly, we need to treat money laundering as a data problem and not a legal problem or a process problem, uh, which is the way we do it today. Uh, so if you, if you want a real solution to money laundering, you have to deal with it like cyber security. You have to track all the different transactions that are happening. You have to identify a suspicious actor at, at the moment that that money laundering or fraud is occurring. And then you have to cut that suspicious actor out of the network so that they can't do any more damage, and, just like you would with a hacker. Uh, and and this require, would require regulation to be technology infrastructure, would require regulators to be artificial intelligence and data science specialists. And that's where the gap yeah. is. And I guess this kind of puts an end to the, uh, you know, post facto mm. type uh, investigations. Are we looking at the data the next day, T plus one? Yes. This all, because of the, the rails that we have available now on the blockchain, we can do all this in real time. Correct. Properly in real time without having to wait yeah. for the act of laundering to have taken no, place. I, um, um, AML needs to be algorithm-based, that's it, you know, and but this is a huge learning curve and a huge technology infrastructure investment curve for the regulators to make. But just like digital identity, as we talked about it, regulation, at least in the supervisory you know, and policing function that regulators have today, must be automated in the future. And so that transition of regulators to go from a legal policy setting and you know, human-based supervisory model needs to, to move to code. Uh, and then maybe moving a little bit away from uh, money laundering, but still on the Digital topic of asset. virtual asset. Yeah. Um, what's your view on the opinion that you know virtual assets are is not something as banks that we want to deal with? It's it's high risk. Uh, look at what happened recently uh, in 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 the market. Um, so we're just going to stay away. It's is it? It's coming, right? Look, there's no avoiding it. So you better up upscale your your, your yeah. framework. So um, th there's two forms of digital assets, right? Um, it, it, you know, broadly speaking, what we have 
um, is, is today is we are taking a lot of the world from a data perspective and trying to codify it, right? So if let's take your DNA for medical uh, purposes. So once we've got your DNA, it gives us a whole lot of different optionalities. We we have visibility on your potential future, uh, you know, um, conditions that you might suffer, um, you know, based on this. And so this gives us a whole lot of options in terms of how we deal with that. Um, and so we need a digital equivalent right, from an asset perspective of your DNA. Where's that stored? How is that secured? Who gets to use it? You know, what are the implications of that? And then you have assets, for example, that are created in the metaverse, like a virtual real estate or, um, you know, virtual artwork and things like that, that requires the equivalent of, you know, property records that we have for physical real estate or IP that we have for artwork or music or content created in the physical world. We need a, a similar infrastructure for digital. Um, all of that means that uh, you, you need to secure that. You need to have a way, uh, you know, a, a, rec a transaction record um, associated with activity around those digital assets. We may need digital vaults to, uh, you know, put data away and secure it. We need to determine how that data is released or those digital assets are utilised, what the remuneration model is for usage of a particular digital asset. All of that has analogies to the way we think about the financial services sector. So this is, the, this is where you, you, you've hit the, uh, the, the problem, to be honest, because banks are not geared up to do any of the activities you described. What the, the, the uh, service providers that, uh, that are capable of providing such services are really the crypto exchanges and, and the, the DeFi FX, players yeah. and so forth. And the problem is that that is not a regulated sector. So this is where I think the regulator either plays a bigger role in that sector or the banks also become a challenger to some of these exchange exchanges that we're seeing uh, that are capable of doing these providing these services and provide them in-house but something's well, got to give yeah uh, you know i have a, a i think a simpler view of it that um the technology layer um, and the way it's working for delivery of financial services experience uh, experiences means that um increasingly the role of banks in banking becomes more and more reduced, right? Yes, they might be a manufacturer or, a, you know, a credit risk manager and so forth, but a lot of what we have done in banking previously, like the, the uh, processing of manual application forms and, you know, speaking to people and dealing with cash and all that, that's disappearing out of the system due to automation and um, the technology layer. So banks need to look for new markets. They need to look for new areas of advancement and digital assets. You know, the easiest way to think about it is think of it like a digital safety deposit box. You put your most precious um, you know, valuables in a safe or in a deposit box so they're secured. You will need to do the same with digital assets. But they need assets. to invest in infrastructure. They absolutely right? do. They can yes. provide yes. custody on yes. the current infrastructure. Correct. Um, and um, you know, uh, crypto custody, despite everything that we've seen in the in the crypto market recently, is a big area for banks uh, to to invest in. And that's even before we get into things like NFTs exactly. and uh, you know uh, digital assets in the metaverse sense. So there 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 is a massive scope. And if banks were smart, they would say, you know what, a wallet 
you know, or a value store that we have at the core of the banking system, while we've thought of value stores as a place to put money, what value stores are are really a data storage, uh, you know, storage uh, component. And once you you flip that switch, then you can think of the ability to store data mm. as the next evolution of the wallet itself or the bank account itself. Uh, you mentioned something yesterday, I think, to me around people using banks because of the element of trust, right? And right. If banks get into this uh, virtual asset custody, for example, uh, services or any they other... They are a trusted exotic, party. Exactly. They, yes. This increases the uh, consumer protection and the trust yeah. in virtual assets. And as a result, I think it promotes virtual assets because someone like me, for example, might be skeptical of going and, I don't know, opening an account with one of the uh, uh, exchanges that are currently available. Right? Uh, but if my bank offers it, I'll feel more, more confident, more comfortable getting into, I don't know, crypto trading, right? So it's a, a great opportunity for banks to get into that business. Well, if you think about um, investments and the way we think about investments today, you know, like if you're, you have a private bank client, you know, the private banker is there to manage all of your, um, your portfolio of investments. And so we have a, a whole lot of infrastructure set up to manage your portfolio. But right now, when we talk about a digital portfolio, of assets or investments. Right now, it's the equivalent of you walking around with this wallet with a million dollars in your pocket and no security to yeah. uh, to handle it. You know, except uh, you know a flimsy little password on the on the wallet. You know, so um, the the digital asset infrastructure from a trust and security perspective is quite immature, and we're leaving it to the decentralized sort of land of you know the yeah. wild wild west of crypto, and it's just not enough. It's we a need great opportunity for yeah. banks. Absolutely. Opportunity. And regulators, to be honest. Thank you very much for your time. This has been amazing.